The human spirit is unconquerable. We are individuals and we are sovereign, born with unlimited potential, gifted from our creator. Our mission is to break free from the systems that bind us. I volunteer as tribute. We strive for peace and prosperity and overcome all challenges, roadblocks, and obstacles. We are empowered because we think for ourselves and we act for ourselves. We are self-reliant and independent, but guided by the wisdom of those who share our values. What possible difference can I make? There is no government, no ruler, nor ideas that are able to stop us. We are driven to succeed because we seek political freedom, financial freedom, and spiritual freedom. It's all for nothing if you don't have freedom. This is Mike Corbell, and you are listening to The Invictus Mind. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Mike Corbell. I am back in town, back from another road trip, my third one of the year. Only this one was much more business-related. But I'm happy because, you know, I didn't have to drive the entire time for the 600-mile round trip. I went up to Detroit, Michigan, and uh, I was with my good friend, my mentor, and my brother in Christ. You may remember him from way back when, and if you follow me since the beginning, I featured him in episode three. We call him the Financial Ninja when he does podcasts, and I will have him on in future episodes, so that will be a good one for those who are interested in learning some good tips about saving and investing in the market and protecting your assets. You know, so it was cold this weekend. I think that's exactly when winter broke was this week because it started snowing and uh, people drove through ice storms and stuff. But uh, I have to say I was impressed about my northeasterly neighbors. You know, I don't follow every single news story about every single state, but uh, I'm thinking at the time that I was at the Tom Woods show just a couple weeks ago, and uh, they had a little skit where everyone was on stage and they played the family feud. One of the questions was, the top 10 governors of 2020 that you want to see in prison. And Gretchen Whitmer was above my own horrible totalitarian governor, J.B. Pritzker. So, you know, I thought that that was a really horrible liberal state and there would be a lot more people demanding face masks everywhere. But nothing. No one said a thing. I would say more people were maskless there in Detroit than even what I see in the suburbs of Chicago. Yeah, I was smack dab in the middle of the city, right by the post office and TV stations. And if you're familiar with Detroit or or live there, you know, I got to say, the people are really nice. They're friendly. And, and I, overall, I had a good time. Anyway, speaking of a good time, I had a really nice conversation last week with a guy I've known for quite some time. I recorded an intro when we got started, so I don't want to say too much here. But uh, I do want to give him higher praise than I think I might have when we actually recorded Ken's a really good guy, he's smart, he's talented, and definitely belongs on the guest list on this show. And remember, this month we are promoted in the Nomad Network. This is where Ken and I actually communicate the most, so we'll definitely talk a little bit about that in the show. And you can find a link for that at the bottom of the show notes. Anyway, here's my recording with Ken. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Invictus Mind Podcast. This is, of course, your host, Mike Corbell. If you are joining us for the first time here, we have discussions with what it means to be unconquerable. In these conversations, we talk with people about the ideas and the practical things they are doing to achieve political freedom, financial freedom, and of course, spiritual freedom. And though we are not set up live, we are just going to roll into the conversation today. I have with me on the call a man who is a fan of the show. Now, it's nice when you're a podcaster that somebody actually listens to you and it gives you feedback from time to time. But, of course, that's not the reason why I invited him on the show. I have gotten to know uh, this gentleman over the course of a year in various networking groups, and I think he does exemplify what it means to be Invictus. And I'll just let him get into his story a little bit, and we'll have a conversation. How are you doing today, Ken? I'm doing very well. Very well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for having a great show. It's always uh, it, it's always entertaining to listen to what you have to do. And, and, and a lot of your guests have learned something. So I hope I can stand up to the uh, that, that challenge. Well, that, that's good. And I want to let everyone know I didn't pay you to say that. But uh, like I said, uh, I'm humbling myself here when I say that I actually have at least one fan. And uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's nice that, uh, you know, the, the efforts that you put into doing a project actually provides value to people. And, that, and that's really what I really want to uh, be able to do is, is provide some kind of value to people. But, well, I, yeah, I agree. You know, wh- one of the reasons I, I um, 
I came on, uh, I spent a long time being a political activist in the uh, in the Republican Party in Minnesota. And I'm on 10 years and I, I ran the Tea Party groups for a few years, um, right up until uh, 2016. After the election, I just um, I just stopped. You know, I saw you talk a lot about liberty and things like this. And uh, I've uh, have you heard of Chris Ann Hall? Do you are you guys familiar with Chris Ann Hall in her I'm teachings? Familiar with the name, but I don't know if uh, I don't know if I've ever spoken to her in a sense. Okay, she, she's someone to look up. She's a, a great uh, constant constitutional scholar, and not like the the this constitutional scholar like um, you'd think of Barack Obama talked about being a constitutional scholar. She's actually studied, you know, the original paperwork, the original letters that these guys wrote to each other. You know what it actually meant in the in the in the context of the time when it was a brilliant time. I mean, it was really amazing. So, one of the she had a great definition of liberty that really it stuck in my head, and it's one of the reasons I got out of the political scene per se. And she is a liberty is a, basically it's a formula. It's freedom plus morality. So equals liberty. And if you think about it, yeah, because everyone says, oh, we want to be free. It's a free country. Well, if it's a free country, I could look at that microphone you're talking into now and say, I need that. And I could come over and stick a gun to your head and take it. And there wasn't anything you can do about it except for shoot me back. That's freedom. We don't want pure freedom. You want morality, you know, where morality says, I like that microphone. I'm going to come over your house with a gun. I'm going to keep it holstered. And I'm going to say, I'll give you $200 for that microphone. You want to sell it? And you can say yes or no. You know, that's the morality of it. And a lot of people think when I say that I'm talking about God and um, I'm a believer. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm talking about God, but I don't, I don't I believe people can be moral. You can have moral atheists. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be a good person. It's just, uh, you know, at the end of day, at the end of your life, what's going to happen? That's the question. So but these things with, with that de- with that definition of liberty. What I realized is I was like, wow, these a lot of these people on the left and the right don't actually want liberty. They want their form of tyranny. And um, also people that would come to, like, say, a Tea Party meeting, which once a month we'd have anywhere from, you know, 30 to 150 people, depending on the night and the guests. You know, it turned in more just into a social group. And then the National Tea Party group started getting behind candidates and had the Tea Party candidate. And I'm like, well, that goes against everything that the Tea Party should be to me. You know, we shouldn't stand for anybody. We should hold everyone accountable no matter who they are. So spending 10 years in that grind of that, that sausage making circle of crap, I realized I have done nothing except for now I, you know, I've got people on speed dial that are supposedly important people, but they're still not doing what, what they should be doing. And I'm like, you know, what would be better? would be to, well, first of all, the realization that if you can't bring a couple thousand votes into somebody or a bunch of money in a pact, they don't really care what you're doing. They'll use you to hand out flyers and pamphlets and go door knocking and canvas and do that kind of thing. But you're not going to make any change unless you can actually get some influence. And um, so I said, you know what, I'm going to get out of the, uh, the political activist world and get into the influence world and try to better my lot in life, bringing up my uh, level of liberty by controlling what I do in the source of my income. And doing that, I'm an artist. And I've been an artist for since I was born, really. Um, I, I spent, uh, I got a degree in product design and illustration from Minneapolis College of Art and Design in the 90s. And I worked various jobs, um, up until I got into the motorcycle industry. And that's where I'm at now. We, me and uh, four other friends started a company in 2014, building motorcycle parts and accessories, designing them and, and manufacturing and selling them. And, and we're, we're, we're doing well. So that's good. On the other side of things, I'm also building, this is, this is my Invictus part. You know, this is how you and I know each other, our Invictus minds. Um, I'm building my art empire, I'm calling it. Right now, it's just me drawing pictures of people's cars. But um, you know, if you have a classic car or something like that, I do drawings of it, renderings, but I'm trying to build something that is mobile in the sense that if I need to go somewhere, I can still work anywhere in the world. And, um, you know, looking outside of the country for the first time ever in this last year is something that's interested me. I don't know if I'm going to jump and do that, but it's, I've never thought of that before. So I've had a huge change in mindset and what Liberty is uh, realizing there is no, there is no, there are no white hats in government right now. 
and it's really um, it's inspiring to have found a group where you and I met the the Nomad Network, and um, because it seems like we've got well now is fifteen hundred some people in there, and uh, you know there's hundreds of us that have the same mindset that are helping each other out, just like what we're doing right here. So that's that's a little brief story of what I've done and and where I'm at. But uh, you know, going going forward from here, you know, hell, I think we just need to get more people to come on board with this. Cause this is not a partisan thing. Right. Right. Yeah. I want to interject my little commercial for the nomad network here. Of course, neither you or I are really getting paid for, uh, for advertising, but it is a great place to hang out. And uh, you know, uh, obviously Jason Stapleton was the guy who started that network up and uh, he, uh, he has definitely changed my life as far as uh, the way I look at world at the world. Uh, he reminds me of a mentor I have. I currently work with in the financial industry but uh, definitely uh, is more broad in his scope uh, of uh, topics that he talks about. Uh, my mentor once told me that uh, if you want to have more freedom, you just got to have more money. Now, of course, we know that uh, uh, people will cringe at the thought of, oh, you just got to go out there and make more money, right? Uh, but the, the way Jason Stapleton describes his nomad network and, and how he describes wealth is, is much more encompassing in that, right? It's about uh, having the ability to do what you want, with who you want, where you want, anytime you want, without consideration of the cost. And uh, I think because of that scope, it, it definitely attracts a lot of people. So it's not just about you know business-minded people who want to go and make lots of money, but it's about uh, developing a lifestyle. It's about uh, um, you know creating that liberty for yourself. Ken, you know, I was a, I was a political activist for a short period of time. In fact, I, I met my wife uh, within the Libertarian Party. Oh, cool. It was only a matter of time before I realized that libertarians were really libertines. You mm-hmm. mentioned morality before. And so, like, I've always been a religious type of person, and I'm not ashamed to talk about that. But uh, I remember my wife, uh, you know, asking some of the people in the Libertarian Party, hey, who's this guy, Mike? You know, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about uh, uh, going out with him or, you know, give him a chance or whatever. And, uh, you know, they're always like, well, just be careful. He's religious, right? And that really <laughs> offended her. And when, you know, it came back to me eventually. I'm like, these people are idiots, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you want to hear something funny? I found um, I found God and the church through politics. I mean, this is this is a crazy story. So, you know, growing up, I was I was baptized in the Episcopal Church and we didn't darken the door of a church since that day. You know, I'd go to, um, you know, weddings and funerals. It's the only time I went to church. Mm-hmm. And so I knew nothing about it. Never read the Bible. My parents had one laying around, the, the old thick one with the gold sides on it, you know, the gilded right. sides and had pictures. So I'd look at the pictures, you know, I'd get back in Revelation and the pictures were epic. You know, I was like, this is cool, but didn't read a word of it. <clears throat> so it had no meaning. And, uh, you know, long story short, after doing some, I remember coming out of a, uh, a, um, an, a convention, a GOP convention here in Minnesota, um, where we were, you know, doing an, an endorsement convention. And uh, it was right after there was redistricting, which was also a, just a nightmare. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I, I've got a decent job. I got a great family, I got two kids and a wife and um, you know, things are good, a beautiful home. And I'm like, but I'm just not happy. There was something missing, you know, there was something missing. And I, I got talking to one of the, um, the, you know, the, the Jesus freaks in the Republican party. And, and I just, I was explaining this to her and she gave me a card and she's like, why don't you come to this, you know, uh, this church? And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, sure. Whatever. And a few weeks went by. And on a Saturday morning, my son and I, I'm like, let's go, let's go church shopping. I guess they do that. There was one road that had a whole bunch of churches on it in my, mm. my town in Andover, Minnesota at the time. And so I went into one after another and one place had some event going on. So I walked in there just wondering what's happening, you know, not knowing anything. And not one person said a word to me, not one. Nobody. I'm like, well, yeah, this is kind of the way I remember going to church when I was a kid at a funeral wedding. You know, the church people look at the people that don't go to church and they kind of look down on them. That's that was my that was my uh, understanding of religious people. This is the way they were. They all just look down on you and you're a sinner. And I get to finally the church that was the one that she gave me the card for. And I walked in there and it was a ghost town. I mean, it was it was a Saturday at like two in the afternoon. There was nothing happening that Saturday but I heard music. The band was uh, rehearsing and they had a big hall. It was like 2,500, 3,000 foot or 3,000 person hall. And um, they had stopped playing by the time I got to where they were. And uh, one of the pastors, there was this guy like six, five bald head. I mean, he looks like he's pretty ominous looking dude, right? Mm-hmm. He comes walking over and he's like, can I help you, sir? 
you know, kind, but like, what are you doing here? You know, there shouldn't be anyone in there. And it was just me and my, you know, my son who was probably eight years old at the time running around, like running up and down the halls, like crazy, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I talked to him and I just said, you know, I just want to see what you guys, what this is all about. I just, there's something missing in my life. I don't know what it is, but I'm just going up and down the street here and see it. And this guy, um, you know, it, it's one of those moments in grace where just like the, uh, the kindness that came out of him. He's like, well, let me introduce you to some, to, to one of the other pastors. And this is, this is what I do anyway. Next day I came and I went to church and they're all singing the hands in the air and stuff like that felt very, very culty and uncomfortable. Um, but by the end of that service, I really, um, it, it really struck me. I was something, something struck a nerve and I ended up going every Sunday for years to that place and found out um, that these people weren't like that. When my, my wife went into the hospital for a bit and um, these people that didn't even know her would go and visit her in the hospital. And they were, they were coming over and saying, Hey, can we help you with the kids? You know, and they take them out for ice cream. They bring dinners over when I was, cause I was worked, you know, I worked an hour away. So it was a really hard time while she was in the hospital. And I said, wow, this is actually people doing deeds that are good. And it changed my outlook on what the, what the church was. Cause it was completely opposite what I thought. And um, anyway, I know it's in a big religious show, but that's just a little bit of my story and why, you know, what, uh, what supports my thoughts when I'm trying to um, improve my state of liberty, because I think that um, we were given, we were given freedom to do what we want, you know, by, by God. And um, we can do with that as we will. And a lot of people take it and do bad and people take it and do good. And we'll, we'll all pay for it later. Sure. But in the, go ahead. In the political sense, I mean, <laughs> in the political world, it gets used on both sides as as a as a tool for evil i really see it you know and um if someone's an atheist or a muslim or a jewish or a buddhist or anything like that hey as long as we can get along and 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 have great conversations i want to hear about your i want to hear about what your what your what your religion's about i want i want to know you know you're a good person i'm a good person you're you know what why are we all arguing about this crap we've got bigger problems than you know where you go to church and, um, you know, you look at how it gets used in the political world, especially I'm not in the, I've never been in the libertarian party. Every time I approach it, I find the same thing that I think you were talking about where, um, there's more infighting involved in worrying about the purity of, 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 of the, of the members than there is about the overall, let's get this message of let people do what the hell they want without hurting other people out. I mean, is that is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, well, in a sense, yes. So I, I was thinking when you were talking there, um, you know, the exploitation that uh, politics and governments, for that matter, have had uh, in regards to religion. Uh, you know, I, I always tell people that there's there's never really been any religious wars. I mean, religion doesn't teach somebody to start a war. It's politics that teaches somebody to start a war. And then they just exploit people for the religion. So, you know, after 9-11, we saw that there was this war this holy war in some respect, uh, you know, between Muslims and, and Christians or, you know, the terrorists and Americans. But it's it's because of the politics involved, not because of the faith that, you know, any parishioner actually practices within those faiths. But uh, you also said something about, uh, um, you know, the associations that you made going to church. And, of course, uh, our First Amendment uh, recognizes that we have a freedom of association. But with that association will come the influence of others, Right. And so, as you mentioned, you know, when you went to church, you had some kind people who, uh, you know, looked after you and your family. And even though you didn't really know them personally, they, they showed a great example of what it means to be a Christian. Right, I think right. That you can see that in the Libertarian Party. There are some people within a party. I'm not disparaging an entire you know, population within a political party, but there are some people who have this uh, persona of being welcoming and open and, and, and respectable to people, whether you're religious or not. And then, like you said, there are some people who are very judgmental, who mm -hmm. are, you know, expect you to pass the purity test. Unfortunately, you can find the same kind of thing in any kind of religion, right? Right. And they say that, you know, there's no true Scotsman, as, as, the, as the saying goes, right? You know, are you, are you really a Christian? You know, what kind of Christian are you? Are you Catholic? Are you Protestant? Are you Mormon? And then, of course, in the Libertarian Party, you know, are you a Rothbardian Libertarian? Are you a Mises Libertarian? Are you a Cato Libertarian? And so I think it's just an acknowledgement of understanding human nature. You're going to find that with every organization you're in. And uh, I really think that uh, 
the people you associate with, that you hang out with, that there's a saying that says that you become the five people you hang out with the most. Right, right. And so hanging out with like the right people with the right mindset going in the same direction will certainly uh, improve your character or one's character. And I think, Ken, that's why I really appreciate this conversation between you and I, because no, I don't know every specific detail about your life, but at least we're going the same direction. We, we, you know, we, ha- we see this thing that we want personal freedom in our lives and uh, going back to the nomad network, you know, everybody there seems to be very supportive of each other. There, there's really no, there's no toxicity there. There's no negativity. There's no purity test. People come in at different stages of life, different, uh, different talents, different backgrounds. And uh, we're all kind of in it together to, to go to one direction. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. And that it's, it's what drew me into that place was, um, you know, Jason Stapleton is the, is the, uh, the, the conspirator on this one to, to create that whole thing. And um, I listened to his podcast when I was still in, you know, in 2015, actually I mentioned Chris Ann Hall before he had interviewed her. And that's okay. how I found out about Jason Stapleton because mm-hmm. she was like, Oh, I'm going to be in this interview with Jason Stapleton. And his, uh, his old Jason Stapleton program was five days a week hitting the hammer of political talk, you know, and I thought it was fabulous. I thought it was one of the, I was, it was probably the best political commentary podcast that I, that I found and I listened to a lot of them. And um, then remember he, he, he in 2018 made a pivot and he said, we're going to change the, or 2018 or 2019, whatever. We're going to change the program. We're not going to be every day. We're only going to be three days a week. And we're not going to talk as much about politics and more. This is going to be more about uh, building entrepreneurship. And um, and he lost most of his audience. I mean, this was a guy that really just said, you know what? What I'm doing isn't working. And it, this all happened to me right around that same time where I was just like, this political thing that I'm doing is just useless. You know, and I weaned down from from, you know, working on national campaigns to to state to went down to local, right down to city council and city council level. That's about where I'm staying now. I, that's my political activism because they have a lot more impact on what I can do to my house than the president. So, but anyway, he had changed his whole program. And when he started talking about as a person that started a business, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is right. This is the way, this is the way to change. Um, this is the way to change everything. I don't know if you were, were you ever a Glenn Beck fan? I've listened to him occasionally. I wouldn't say I was a fan necessarily, but. Okay. So Glenn Beck, when he was at CNN, I remember he was, he was kind of like this weird shining light in CNN that was like, this guy's making sense. And he moved over to Fox and then he left Fox and started the blaze mm-hmm. for similar reasons, because he didn't like to be controlled because they're controlling you at Fox. And when he started the blaze, he really had a good thing going where he was teaching. He had classes on, I was a big fan. He had classes on history. He had, uh, or not classes, but shows about history. And he'd have um, David Barton of Wall Builders. He's a guy that has the largest collection. I mean, people like him or don't like him, but you, you, you have to give him credit. He has the largest collection of original documents from the founding of this country outside of um, the Library of Congress. I mean, a whole library of it. And he knows, he knows his stuff. You know, and he, of course he has an agenda. Everyone has an agenda, but what they were doing wasn't, wasn't very political. Um, it was more teaching. It was more learning. It was more like, here, this is how we change the society. Um, we have to, you do it through arts. And he was trying to build a, a movie, uh, you know, a place to develop movies, TV shows, and things like that. That would be the pop culture that would, that would you know, instead of leading, going down this road to the left, which everything keeps going, you know, he took us to the right. And, um, but that got corrupted at some point and it turned back into, um, the Ted Cruz network. Mm. And he lost me there because I'm, I was a, I was a big Rand Paul supporter at that time. And, you know, what do we end up with? Well, we ended up with Donald Trump and love him or hate him. Um, I, I'm both. He, uh, he figured out how to make it work. He figured out nobody cares about your constitution or your this or that. What they care about is this man sticking it to you and I can stop him from doing that. And that's what he did, you know, and um, having this network of people that have just have thrown that all away, we all pay attention to it. I don't think any of, anyone should not know. I mean, you should know who your senators are. You should know the people that are controlling the pulling the purse strings, you know, can control the purse strings of the, of the nation, the city, the your state. But it doesn't mean you have to make it your life. And I wasted, I say wasted, wasted 11 years being a pretty hardcore activist doing this stuff. And um, I've 
for the most part completely stopped, but I still pay attention. And so um, I'm uniquely informed on how the machine works and what will work and what won't work. So my goal now is to, you know, one of the things I'm doing on Twitter is as an artist, um, I'm trying to put out libertarian small L messages on Twitter through my artwork, but it isn't, um, it isn't, it isn't, a, the artwork isn't about that. So I'll put up a picture of a, a cool old car or something like that and have put a, a message of liberty on there. So, you know, as we, as we try to grow this, that the guys like you, that are doing podcasts that are, that are doing this every week, which I commend because I, you know, I started my podcast a year ago. I got eight episodes deep and stopped because it was just too much to handle. So I have a lot of, a lot of respect for you guys that do this all the time, but this is the support group. This is, this is the farm team for how we're, how we're going to raise this up. Cause we, we eventually will need politicians. You have to have politicians, but we're going to, we have to grow a, a, a groundswell. I thought the tea party in 2009, 2010, that's when I got swept into politics was going to do it. And it, it got corrupted very quickly. As soon as, as soon as the people on the right realized that, Oh, we can use these people. And then all the, all the moderates left, you know, because the original Tea Party groups were, I remember in 2009, we were meeting in a, in a Perkins restaurant. There was nine of us and we grew that to hundreds. And um, as soon as they started saying, you know, we had candidates come in, of course, and yeah, come in and talk, but we're going to quiz you. We're going to grill you. That eventually turned into, we're only going to have the candidates and we want to talk to. And so because of that, the ones that we really should be talking to wouldn't come to it because they didn't want to get yelled at basically. And so, you know, that direction, that's just a slope and you're just going to go down to just being another wing of the party. And the left has the same thing with um, some of the uh, um, the the Black Lives, Matter, Black Lives Matter groups and some of the LGBT groups started out as something that was positive and just instantly got corrupted and turned into, you know, the, 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 some of the feminist groups have the same thing, you know, the the um, liberty groups have the same thing. The marijuana group has the same thing. I mean. I don't want to smoke marijuana. I did a lot, way too much in years, years in my past, but I haven't in 25 years. I have no interest in it at all. None. I don't care. But that being said, yeah, I'll, st I'll stand next to you at the Capitol and say we should be legalizing this thing because that's just what I believe. You know, I'm, I'd, I'd, you know I'm, I feel exactly the same way about motorcycle helmets and seatbelts as I do with marijuana. You know, you're not hurting anyone but yourself. I always wear a helmet on my motorcycle. Because you know what I did one time when I wasn't wearing a helmet, I fell off it when it was moving. I don't recommend it, you know. <laughs> right, right. Well, Ken, you know, you've you said a lot there, and I think it's um, it's an observation when it comes to human nature and you know collecting with each other around an idea. Now, you know who Jeff Deist is, right? The uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, the, the Mises Institute. Yes. So he was on a show uh, not too long ago. He's on lots of them, so I can't remember which one it was on. But uh, he talked about the word libertarian, and he's like, I use the word libertarian as an adjective rather than a noun. In other words, not identifying himself as a libertarian per se, uh, you know, as, as a group, but when he acts, he does certain things that are libertarian as an adjective. And so I think that, uh, you know, what we're seeing in 2021 and, you know, obviously for years before that is that people are, you know, surrounding themselves and identifying with a group whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's a marijuana movement, whether it's the Libertarian Party. or, or And so this whole identitarian movement, I think, is creating more division because people are just like, OK, well, this is my idea. We're, we're going to collectivize around an idea. And, you know, again, it goes back to that purity test. Oh, you don't believe 100 percent in my idea. Therefore, you're not part of our group. Where if you look at the word libertarian as an adjective, it's like, OK, what are you doing that are that's promoting freedom in your life and not necessarily That's just good point saying, very good point not, not necessarily just saying okay well these are the books i've read and if you haven't read these books then you're not with me but you know what about, what are you doing to promote liberty and i and I, I again i keep going back to the, it's going to be a big commercial for the nomad network but it's again people are actually doing stuff to to create liberty in your life uh, ken are you familiar with like the the ongoing conversation in the in, i call it the twitter sphere right or the podcast world where you know we have the libertarians of one group and we have the post libertarians or the praxians or, are you familiar with that, that whole yeah yeah there a little bit I, I follow a little bit of it i get it I'm, i get a kick out of it it's the same in, in in the in the gop <laughs> they're having the same conversations you know uh it's it's just funny watching everyone eat their own 
Right. You know, and every, and so everyone's compartmentalizing themselves. And, you know, again, go back to the founding. Washington himself said, hey, as soon as there's factions, this, this thing ain't going to work. Mm-hmm. He knew it. And, um, you know, right away, people are like, well, yeah, it was better back then. I'm like, what about the Sedition Acts that John friggin' Adams put in? You know, here's a guy that said, here, you can't say bad shit about the government. Oops, sorry. But, <laughs> you know, he was, I mean, John Adams, the second president, it started that early with, right. you know, they had to, they had to rein in power. Um, you know, it, it's just, we have to get past that because this is what works. And unfortunately with social media, with podcasts, with, with um, the way people get information now and the news channels, um, you, you have to really consciously, um, you know, uh, vet everything you get because it's, it all has an agenda. Um, You know, one of the things my folks, they raised us in a very, I'll just use the word conservative again as an adjective, not a, not enough, but they, they raised us in a conservative household where um, everybody bleeds the same red. Um, nobody owes you a thing. You, you earn what you get and you should be good to other people. I mean, that's the way I was raised and in Massachusetts. So here's years, years later, my dad's 90 years old. Now he's still going, he's doing well. My mom's 89. She's doing well, but um they grew up in an era where you believed the news because it was Edward R. Murrow, it was Walter Cronkite. It was, um, um, you know, actual news people that you didn't know. You didn't know where they, what side of the aisle they stood on. They had their ideas, but they just, it was just the facts, man, you know, here, mm-hmm. it's the news. Well, think about that whole generation now when they see CNN, MSNBC, and Fox. Well, they've gone into factions, but they still have that old idea that whatever the news is saying is right. And I was victim to that because I used to watch Fox News. You know, I'd watch Hannity and Combs and I'm like, yeah, you're going to get him, Sean. Yeah, I don't just just stick it to him. You know, Combs would often make um, a a reasonable argument about something. But I'm like, it came from him. So it's got to be bad. And that is our problem right now. And I recognized it myself. And I had to humble myself a bit and go, well, just because someone I don't agree with has a good idea or has an idea doesn't make it a bad idea. So, you know, like I tell a lot of friends of mine, look at the Democrats don't have all bad ideas. They have poor implement implementation plans for a lot of their ideas. But when someone says nobody in a country this wealthy should go without food, um, anyone that disagrees with that is a fool. That's just a fool to disagree with. You know, you think about the wealth in this country and um, I'm not wealthy. But I know if my neighbor needed food or someone I knew needed food, and I've done this in the past, I'll go grocery shop and here's a couple hundred dollars of food because you need it. Mm-hmm. You know, the church used to do that stuff. They still do to a point, but they're held back on it. There's regulations of the government coming. You can't feed these, these people because it has to be FDA approved or that has to go through some, you know, what the hell's that? And this is where people need to just stand up and say, no, I'm not complying. Um, the last year, well, almost two years now of, of the demonstration of mass compliance to me is the most frightening thing I've seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, Cyprian, um, are you familiar with that guy? No, no. Vin Armani. He's been on several. Podcasts. Oh yeah. Yeah. Vin Armani. Yep. He's the guy that, uh, that moved to Saipan or Saipan. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's doing a lot of proselytizing about the, uh, the Eastern Orthodox religion right now. And, you know, which is fine, but, uh, he mentioned, you know, the church of woke. Yeah. He includes, uh, you know, the, the, he calls it the woke poke and how many people are just willfully or blindly just like taking it because it's a spirit of compliance. Right. What's interesting. I was listening to him on John Odermatt's show the other day and, um, mm-hmm. He's talking about this is like a rare point of time in history where the entire world is falling under this. This, uh, you know, it's not an official global rule, but it's a global agenda. It's like every every single country in the world. North Korea has lockdown measures, and you know, in Australia we see some terrible things going on in there. So it's not just a problem in the United States, but it's a problem worldwide which is why he's defining this as a, a worldwide religion. People are just willfully blinding and they're, they're participating in rituals and they're, uh, you know, they're not even asking questions. It's, it's, it's almost like a heresy. If you, if you, you know, come up with any kind of counterpoint against, you know, why people are doing this, or, you know, whether the lockdowns had any significant 
uh, reduction in, in, in the virus or whether you know, the vaccines are safe to use. If you raise the question, you know, you're looked at as a heretic and, you know, you're dismissed right away. And so in almost right. every single uh, aspect you look at it, it, it it's, a, it's a religion, which is yeah. very unique. And, and, and really, it is scary. And I think that the the lack of, um, you know, just to jump back to Christianity, in the lack of people having any shame, having not gone to spend some time in church, you know, when I, when I mentioned before of the of uh, religious people, I look, looked at, they didn't talk to you really, they did kind of shame you for not knowing it, um, or not going to church or not understanding. Well, I think there was a detriment to that. There's also a plus to that, because there was a moral compass that people had to work through, mm-hmm. that to, to live by, that is needed when you pull that moral compass away, boy, it's really easy to go to go off the deep end. I mean, I did for a long time. And um, this whole thing, you, oh, I've got, I've got a, um, I used to paint motorcycles, like custom paint, airbrushing and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm used to caustic fumes and things like that. So mm-hmm. I'm an actual, I, I tell people, I'm an expert with masks. All right. I'm an expert. I know what masks will, will keep out the VOCs, all the bad stuff. And, and it works the same with, with microparticles and, and, and diseases. And when this whole thing started, um, I just built a website for my artwork and then everything shut down. I ended up working at home for five months. We were, we were essential because we were in transportation because everyone needs motorcycle parts, which worked out well because everyone bought motorcycles because there's nothing else to do. Right. You know, so it's like you take advantage of what you can when you can. But anyway, so my wife was, uh, she sews. And so when this all started, she has a cousin that worked in a, in a hospital and she calls her, she goes, are you still sewing? We need masks. Remember when this whole thing started, it, you, they couldn't get masks. It was like freaking out. And so Stacy, my wife went on and uh, started making them. I'm like, well, I just built my website. Let's make enough that I can put them on there and I can learn how to use the, 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 the marketing and sales part of my website to, with these masks because everyone's hot right now. So it's going to be easy to get people there to look at it. And I basically developed how my, my, um, how to, how to check out and buy something off my website through selling masks on my website. And we did that for about a month. And, um, you know, it, remember it was only going to be a two week thing or a three week thing. And, and it, it basically just paid for it so we could donate a whole bunch to the hospital. So we made hundreds of these things, but we sold a bunch and then we donate a bunch. So it broke even whatever the vitriol people were sending at me for trying to make money off this. Facebook wouldn't allow me to boost the post of anything had, had to do with the masks. And this is by, and we started doing that probably in April and this is by June and we just stopped. I'm like, this is nuts. First of all, they don't do anything as a painter. Um, a respirator is what is needed because um, it goes right through the mask. It goes around, you know, uh, we have a, a, a person I knew that was really, really adamant about wearing masks. And she, had, it was a girl and she had bangs. And when she'd talk and we'd talk and she'd laugh, her bangs would do that. You do this, they'd flop. And I'm like, I said, you realize if you're, you, it's not doing anything when, when that's like, and she's like, yeah, I didn't realize that. So I tried to explain, I actually got at work. I got the OSHA printout of what mask wearing should be. Cause it, OSHA themselves, even though they're saying you should, everyone should wear a mask. If you look at the OSHA mandate for masks, they say it does nothing against anything viral. And so for all the people out there right now that are losing their mind over me telling you this, wear your mask, take one of your blue masks, put it on, Go into a room and sand drywall for an hour. Come out, take your mask off and look at what's on your face. Now think about each one of those little white particles that's all over your face and in your nose and in your lungs that you're coughing is about a hundred times bigger than um, a thousand coronaviruses. Yeah. You know, (laughs) so go ahead. Well, I was just thinking, you know, you, you don't have to look in the the OSHA spreadsheet or the MSDS report, uh, you know, it's on the box. I had to show my daughter this because we had a conversation. Her mom is like a, a maskahol or whatever you want to call it, the word. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm totally anti-mask. And so my right. daughter, you know, she poor her. She's she's 11 Torn. and she's she's getting, you know, confusing messages from her parents. But I'm like, OK, look, honey, whatever your mom thinks, I just want to show you something and ask you a very logical question. And I showed her the box with masks. You know, we had one around the house and I'm like, read this thing. And it, there's a disclaimer that says not to be used, not safe for uh I think it says virus or and bacteria and you know all all the things I'm like this says right there on the box of the mask you put on your face that it's not intended for medical use or for, right. you know, for, for that for that use and I'm like okay why do you think they put that in the box and uh, obviously she's 
an intelligent little girl. She's like, well, it probably doesn't work against the coronavirus. I'm like, there you go. So, <laughs> well, in the, the, the mask thing to me, it was hard on me. I've got, um, I've got like a, it's an inner ear thing, which, uh, you know, back in the old days, I guess they'd call it vertigo. And um, one of the things that I have a problem with is if I'm wearing a mask and breathing my own carbon dioxide, it makes it a lot worse. So I can literally just, I can pass out. And so sometimes it takes a minute, sometimes it takes a half an hour. I never know. So I was, I was breaking every mask rule that I could. And um, there were some places you had to go, but you know, like an art store, I went to an art store and the people that were running the art store, the manager and the assistant manager, they were both, were both very far left people and, um, and close-minded and poor business people. Cause this is a store I'd been going to for 20 some years. I've spent tens of thousands of dollars at this place. And I walk in there and uh, st- stuff started getting kind of, um, you know, I, I started feeling kind of dizzy. So I put my mask down under my nose, right? Because I had to have a mask in there. I was buying some, I had a job or a commission. I had to get some materials for I had to get them. So I had to go in and, um, I'm carrying I both hands. I've got a, a, a three foot by four foot piece of illustration board. I'm walking up to the, to the, um, the register with, and, and my, my mask was just under my nose and the guy behind the counter had a cow. He's like, you got to bring that. I'm like, sir, great. I will. While we're talking about this, we're close. That's fine. I just need to buy this thing. Can you cut this up? I've already paid for it. Yeah. And he, Sorry, and he, Ken, I, I, not to interrupt you. You're probably noticing that I'm switching my camera. My camera froze on me, so here I am. You Same problem I had. Now we both look crappy. Hey, how's that? Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I, I guess I poisoned your camera, too. Technology, right? Yeah, sometimes it doesn't work. But anyway, so you know, long story short, these people were, I mean, um, nearly, it was, I was being accosted for, I tried to be safe. I'm like, when I, when I talked to them, I said, well, I'm up at the thing and my hands were, I pulled it up over the nose and I explained it. I'm like, look at, I have a condition. I can't have it up over the nose very much. And it, I just, I have a condition. I don't have COVID. I'm fine. You know? And um, no, sir. Well, and then, and then they, I said, all right, well, I'm going to go stand over here while you guys cut this. And I'm just giving them an opportunity at this point. It turned into a, a social experiment for me. Cause I, you know, I, at that point I didn't give a crap who got mad at me. And I said, I'm going to go stand on the side. Now, my car was parked right out front. And, you know, uh, this gets into uh, nomad network stuff of, you know, take advantage of what you can take advantage of. Don't try to, uh, um, if you're running a business, you know, work with the customer. They could Mm -hmm. have said, sir, if you can't do that, we understand. We're very, very sorry. Can you sit in your car and we'll bring that out to you? You know, but no one thought about doing that because their ideology was so, they'd rather sit there and glare at me and look bad. No one in the store cared. And um, so they gave me the thing and I, I walked up to the, the store manager and I said, uh, I said, look, I'm not starting trying to start trouble or make a statement here, but you got to realize that there are people that have a medical reason why they can't wear, I don't care, well, just get out of my store. And I said, well, I said, I'm just trying to explain to you, you know, as the store manager, I've been coming here a long, long time and spent a lot of money here. And that'll end right now. If you're going to continue just being like this, I don't care. You just go. And I said, all right. So um, I'm also a gun guy and I know the laws <laughs> and I have a permit to carry. And I always carry everywhere all the time. There's a, a regulation that, that the sign on your door has to follow and it has to be within um, you know, eye length. So you're between four and four and six feet. It has to be uh, on a contrasting um, border with letters that are like an inch and a quarter tall. I know the law. Mm-hmm. The law also says if it isn't that, it's completely null and void. Well, them at the bottom of their door, way down in the bottom in like half inch tall letters had the little sign with no guns. Well, that's not a valid sign. So I went in anyway, and I conceal. I'm not one of those, I'm going to walk in with my AR. Look at me. I'm big tough. You know, I'm just, I have a gun because I have a gun. <clears throat> no one ever knows. So as I was leaving the store and she was yelling to tell me to leave, you know, I, I might've, I, I, I turned around, you know, and, and my jacket opened up a little bit where you might've seen the bottom of a gun. I said, by the way, your, your sign down here isn't legal. <laughs> so, and she's like, she, her eyes lit up like this. She all freaked out. And I walked out of the store and there was a guy out front that, that saw what was going on and, and heard me say that as I walked out and he started laughing. And there was two other people in the store that were like, nice. Cause they watched me being treated like crap and they left the store too. It doesn't do you any good to, to use your ideology 
in a situation like that, where you're going to turn half of your customer base off. Yeah. Yeah. That's how, you know, it's a religion. It's, it's you know, exactly. People don't think about the ramifications or how to treat people with respect or how to be courteous. I mean, it's troubling times for everybody. Right. But, uh, right. You know, it's, it's just crazy. I don't want to spend a half hour here talking about the master and everything like that. Everybody, no, that's fine. Everybody knows what it's like. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, has some level of story that they can share about it. It's, it's just absolutely ridiculous. But, uh, you know, Ken, I, I, uh, I got to I'm going to switch subjects here a little bit. Uh, I was sure. really I was really impressed over the last month with, the, you know, you participate in this uh, event called Inktober. Yes. Tell me what that was, what that's all about. Cause I knew formally that you were, you know, you were involved, you were an artist of some types, you worked in the motorcycle industry and I've known that about you, but uh, over the last month between you and a few other people in that network, I just see all this artwork and I'm like, wow, I, I couldn't draw a stick figure straight. So. <laughs> yeah. Inktober. I'll tell you in the, uh, this is something that I found last year and it's actually through one of the guys in the network. There's um, um, Vincent Ferrari. I don't know if you've had a chance to talk with him. He's yeah. I've a, had um, him on the show actually. Yeah, yeah, you you listen to that show. Anyway, <laughs> um, he turned me on to that last year. I, I found out about it and he, okay. he started, he had some drawing he did in October in 2020. And I was like, what is this? So I looked at him like, oh, I'll do this. So I did it last year. And in an exercise, so I'll tell everyone what it is. Inktober, it was started, I believe, by the India Ink Company that makes black ink as a way to have people use ink. So the idea was there was a list, every word in October had a, had a word that you had to do an illustration of some sort. And it can be anything, whatever you want. And um, the idea was to do it like in black ink, hence the name Inktober. So, and then post it and then put the hashtag on there. As far as a marketing ploy, what an awesome idea that was. Sure, do you get artists, do you have artists a challenge like that? That doesn't take a lot of time or it does, it's up to you. So I said, all right, I'm going to spend like a half an hour a night doing this as a, as an exercise to improve my skills to, um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a ridiculous procrastinator. So give me, okay, every day I've got to do this one thing, one thing, and then post it. And I did it last year and I grew my Instagram feed by like 400 people over the course of that month. Wow. I couldn't believe it. And um, so this year, when it came back around being in the network, you know, I talked about it with some of the other artists and mentioned some things when I got in there and they're like, oh, this is a great idea. Let, let's all do this. So there must've been five or six of us in there that were doing it. And we were posting it every time. I was worried that everyone was going to get sick of seeing these pictures, but it was just the opposite where people were like, you know, to see the, the completely different renditions of what a word is like the word risk, mm -hmm. you know, that was one of the words that was the last word this year. And what everyone did differently was just, it was really interesting to see the different thought patterns of how people worked. And it opened up, like you said, you saw stuff that I did that you didn't realize that, oh, wow, he does more than just this. And um, a lot of the other people in the network were like that. Well, what it does is it just helps grow community and build tribe. And um, it's been a, a, a great, a, a great experience, I think, for people in the network and, you know, just growing. So what we, what I was doing, so you put it on, on, on Instagram with the hashtag Inktober 2021 and, and that kind of stuff. So at every single one I put out, I also put the hashtag Nomad Network sure. and um, some Liberty quotes and things like that. And then I'd put a different post on Twitter that would talk more about Liberty and things like that. And sometimes I'd call people out. Sometimes I'd say, try this. But the idea being that, okay, here's when, when someone now hits the hashtag Nomad Network, instead of coming up with, um, you know, a uh, people in, in, in driving around in motorhomes or vans, you also now have sprinkled in all this artwork because everyone else right. was doing it too. So you figure if you've got five people that did 31 drawings, that's 150 some pieces of artwork that have the hashtag nomad network that then gets shared that then. So this is what I'm talking about is being a libertarian adjective artist mm -hmm. and using that to build freedom because people can see People visually look at something and if they like it, they're going to start following it, right? And um, that's very, very important. Now, it's really easy to be like, I'm going to do political art and political commentary. You know, I'm not doing any of that. I don't, I don't care about that. I want people to look at this beautiful painting or something like that that I did or one of the other people in the group did and say, wow, that's amazing. And then this person also happens to be a liberty loving human being. Right, right. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a deeds thing. And they talk about that. You know, we talked about Christianity a little bit earlier. It's a deeds thing. you got to show people what you're doing. 
Well, not only that, you're showing people what you're doing, but you're showing people that you're a real person with real feelings, real emotions, um, you know, outside of the political arena. You just like if, if you were just posting like, oh, this is the book I read. It's a political book, you know, by Rothbard, by Mises. Like, how many people are really going to tune into that? But if, you know, if you if we happen to catch somebody outside of the, uh, you know, the liberty world, I, you know, I, I hate using all these labels and stuff, but you know yeah. what I mean? But somebody who's, you know, a normie or, or whatever, you, hey, I really like that guy's art. Oh, you know, what's more about, let's learn more about this guy. And then you kind of subliminally sneak in, oh, yeah, well, you know, I believe in liberty and stuff like that. That's, it's, it's really, it's bringing out the human touch of a message, right? Well, exactly. Of a message. Exactly. And I look at, um, you know, when I, when I built my website, I said, I'm not going to get political on my website. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, you know, what? I'm not going to get political on my website, but you know what, there'll be a link to this show that we're talking about because I want people to know what I'm about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's important to me. And um, we need to do more of that. Uh, Austin, remember Austin Peterson? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was, man, people can love him or hate him, but, you know, you watch the debates between the three of them <laughs> when he was running for president. And I'm like, he's the only adult on stage there. You know, the two guys were like, oh my, these guys are nuts. So he had a saying that some, I mean, some guys come up with a saying that is so great in in his campaign. He goes, he says, I want to live in America where the married gay couple can defend their pot fields with automatic weapons. (laughs) And I'm like, there, there, that says it all. I mean, if that's your, if that's your thing, I understand that now. What I feel about gay marriage is what I feel about gay marriage. I'm not going to get into that. It's nobody's business but mine. But my my general idea of marriage is the government shouldn't be in it at all. Right. Right. So that's a guy that really understood that philosophy, you know, and um, trying to. He was just ousted. It seemed like I mean, he just seems like he was just pushed out and 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 left to hang, you know, in yeah, you know. I, I remember that guy. Um, I don't remember him coining that phrase. And I understand the influential or the um, the marketing behind saying something like that. Personally, I thought that that saying was kind of cringe. And I, I don't mm-hmm. know if it attracted the kind of people that I would necessarily hang out with. Again, not because I'm against any of that kind of stuff. I, I get the idea behind it. But um, it was one of the better marketing campaigns that came out of the party for a while. It, it was a well thought out boldness that had to be there. And um uh, that's something that is lacking on all three parties. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. The Democrats are incredibly bold. So people should be looking at what they're doing if you're against them and say, I'm going to emulate, I'm going to copy, I'm going to steal these same ideas, I'm going to do it. My, I've been telling these politicians, being a gun fanatic, um, I'm like, the only thing you should be talking about right now is eliminating all gun laws. All of them. Just wipe... And if, you know, if I can, if I can afford an F-15 with Tomahawk missiles, I should be able to buy one. Right. When you start there, you've got somewhere to go, mm-hmm. you know? And I remember talking with the speaker of the house here in Minnesota a few years ago, Kurt Sellers, and, and he was negotiating their budget. And I can't remember the numbers exactly, but, um, you know, maybe it was $19 billion is what the budget was that year. And the Democrats wanted $32 billion. So his negotiation started at 28 billion dollars i'm like no no we're at 19 now start at 15 so when you get pulled kicking and screaming up to 21 you save seven eight billion dollars because what happens he got kicked dragged kicking and screaming up to the 32 democrats want they all voted for it right right you know come on that's the marketing that's a lesson in marketing yes Negotiation. Going back to scripture, you know, it says you should either be hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And, you know, yeah, there's there's a lot of people, not not just Republicans or conservatives, but, you know, even libertarians, they want to they want to dance around the issues a little bit. They want to they kind of craft this message that, like, you know, is is safe, is lukewarm. And it's like that's not attracting anybody. That's not influencing anybody. So you're you're absolutely right. You know, be bold in your in your statement. Be bold in your in your belief structure, because, you know, you're not going to win anybody anyway everybody right. anyway right right and, and so you're going to attract the people who are resonating to that message and then if you have to work your way backwards to make that compromise in the political arena at least you know people know that you you stand for something uh, you know that's i think that's the biggest issue in you know we'll, we'll change it a little bit to marketing and influence tactics and it's like if people don't know what you stand for then 
you know, they're really not going to stand with you. Right. Right. I, I think I'm going to humble myself here with the Invictus mind. I've, I've tried to make a point to show everybody what I'm about, but like, even still, I'm thinking I got to niche down a little bit, but I don't want to be only a Christian podcast. I don't want to be a financial podcast. I don't want to be a political podcast. So I've kind of encapsulated everything in there. Uh, but you know, certain things you say are going to attract certain people. And that's, that's just a proven strategy for any kind of influential uh, practice. Well, you, and your show has been great. And this is, like you said, He's, this is not a paid advertisement or endorsement, but hey, the your show's great, and here's why: because I can't tell from listening to all of your shows what you are, but I can tell that he happens to be a Christian. He happens to be a libertarian in you know adjective type. He happens to love freedom. He happens to love business. He happens to understand these things. But moreover, you're it's an it's an entertaining place. It's it's a place that keeps me. Um, it keeps me listening. It keeps me coming back. And there's a lot of podcasts like that out there that don't, because what they do is they just, you know, again, I'll bring up Sean Hannity. He's a hammer and everything's a nail mm -hmm. and that's what he does. And it drives me cuckoo. When I, when I got awakened to this, that I was like being completely brainwashed. I'm like, you know, you wake up and you're like, ah, oh, crap, that too, him too. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's no good. You know, and you, and you realize all the mistakes you've made along the way. And I made tons of them. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if people listening, get anything out of this, I'm not bitter. I'm, I'm actually not bitter. I might sound it, but I'm not. I think that this is an awakening that's coming. And I think that uh, our group with the nomad network is just a micro micro uh, microcosm of, of what's happening around the country in different areas and different groups where people are just waking up and Minneapolis just, you know, I'm, I'm just, I lived in Minnesota for a long time. I'm just over the border in Wisconsin, but Minneapolis just had this huge vote where Everybody thought it was going to go the other direction. They were going to get rid of the police force and these people in the city council were going to, you know, retain. They got routed, you know, and um, there's there's a little bit of hope there. Not much, but some people are doing the right thing and, and it's starting to it's starting to manifest. So when when people get pushed so far, they're going to have to come back because if you go way to the far to the right or way to the far to the left, um, there's always going to be that that backlash and, and the, the pendulum will swing. Well, people are getting sick of the pendulum. Everyone in the middle is just watching that pendulum swing over a little bit and going, we have to find a different way. And I think what we're doing, what you're doing here in this podcast, what we're doing in the network, what I'm trying to do with art, and I'm trying to get other artists involved in it too, um, is the answer. And it, it's a long game. This isn't going to change in one cycle. You know, this is a 20, 30 year program that we've got to really, really keep up the fight with. So. I appreciate what you're doing here. Well, I, I appreciate that. So to be respectful of your time, Ken, I'll just, uh, you know, we'll just end it there. And um, outside of the commercial that we've talked about for an hour with the Nomad Network, you know, what, what are some of the things that you're doing, uh, the adjective libertarian to free your life? And maybe you can uh, incorporate some of your plugs with that too. Oh, I'd love to. I appreciate that. Yeah. So my, my company is called Mad K Studio and that's my, that's my art. Um, that's my art business. And uh, madkstudio.com, M-A-D-D-K studio.com is my website. You can go there and anywhere on social media, I'm on there too. And uh, if you have motorcycle, if you have a Harley, um, we make parts for Harleys and that company is called Ciro, C-I-R-O. And the website is Ciro3D.com and uh, go check it out. That's been built by a whole bunch of people that we started with nothing. And now we've got 450 products in seven years and uh, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty exciting thing. So go check that out. And uh, Mad Case Studio. And thanks again for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. Well, as a fan of this show, you know what the next question is to be expected. Ken, are you Invictus? I am Invictus. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for your time. Uh, thanks, everyone, for uh, tuning into the show. And uh, we'll see you next time.